This podcast is a presentation of Indianola First Assembly of God Church. For more information, please visit us online at indianolafirst.com. Anyway, we've been in a series um, on uh, how we fight our battles, or this is how we fight our battles. It's a spiritual warfare series, and um, we've been in it for the last couple of weeks, and we started with establishing the reality of the spiritual realm. There is a spiritual realm, and it exists. It really exists, and there are things going on constantly within that realm that do affect you and I. We talked about how our enemy, Satan, and his demon cohorts and underlings work tirelessly to steal, kill, and destroy anything that resembles God and the progression of God's kingdom here on earth. We've talked about how we need not fear this empire of evil because they are the ones that actually fear the Jesus that lives on the inside of us. They're scared of him which is an awesome thought. Not to mention that there are angels within the spiritual realm that fight on our behalf. I love the thought that there are millions of angels that can be called upon, that can be dispatched to help you in your moment of need. And we know that there, we all had probably moments like that. I had a moment like that. I've told you about this before, but it was just, it was just one of those marked moments. How many have, have had some marked moments in your life? I was uh, probably 14 years old, 13 years old, somewhere in there, and I was working for a neighbor farmer, <clears throat> and, uh, and uh, we were rock picking. Have you ever done, gone rock picking? Okay. It's horrible, but I, I did it for money. So I'm rock picking, and we're on this wagon behind the tractor, and I jump off the wagon um, because I see a rock out there. I jump off the wagon to go get it, and he was going through the field pretty fast, and he he put her down into road gear because we were actually just done with a round and we were going back to the rock pile, which in Minnesota, there, there's a rock pile at the end of every fence line. There's a rock pile at the, in every grove. I mean, you buy rocks in, in Iowa here, but uh, in, in, in Minnesota, they're laying all over the place. So I, I won't buy rocks here. I'm just telling you, I, I can't bring myself to do it. So anyway, um, we're going and he kicks into road gear and we go down the road and all of a sudden, boom, uh, uh, the, the tire runs up grabs my heel and starts running up my leg of the wagon full, I mean, full, heaping full of rocks. So I don't know how many pounds that was, but several tons for sure. It's a big wagon. And it runs up my leg, across my buttocks, across my lower back, over, I, I went this way and it rolled over this shoulder. So up this leg and over this shoulder. And then I rolled out before the next set of wheels hit me. And I remember being under the wheels of the wagon going, I don't feel anything. I don't feel any weight. I mean, some of you have had these kind of experiences, haven't you? That's angels, folks, lifting that weight up. Because everybody started screaming on the wagon. I rolled out, shook myself off. I had tire tracks on me, like big tire tracks. And I worked the rest of the day because I wasn't hurt. Why go home when you can make money, right? <laughs> That's angels. We know that there are angels there that can be dispatched in a moment to to take care of us at our time of need. I don't even know if I had time to cry out to God. It happened so fast, I rolled out from underneath the wagon, I was fine. And uh, God is so good. He's always there. We need not fear. We talked about angels. We talked about the spiritual realm uh, that, uh, they, that they're in there and they fight on our behalf. Last week, we got into this, this uh, battle started, uh, and how this battle got started with Satan or with Lucifer being created by God so magnificently, but then turning on the Father because he was so filled with pride. 
He was kicked out of heaven along with a third of the angels and they were cast down to the earth. We went through the temptation of Christ and how the devil uses the same tactics on us. He appeals to the lust of our flesh, the lust of our eyes and the pride of life that is within our hearts. That's how he gets to us. He works these areas until we are bound in sins that they produce. Then he attacks us in our weakest area and in our weakened state. And we often find ourselves on the losing end of these battles. Jesus, of course, used the word of God, we talked about that last week, against the devil when he was tempted and showed us exactly what we need to do. We need to be people of the word. We need to quote the word. And that's how we overcome as he tries to get us all tied up. And I wanna continue within that vein of thought this morning. I want you to really get into the subject. I I want us to get into the subject of really knowing who we are in Jesus. Who we are in Jesus. You know, who are you? Who, 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 who are you? You know, who are you in Jesus? Who are you? Who you are in Christ. It's so important for us to know that. It will help us as we fight our spiritual battles. And I think I mentioned several times that we know that the, the victory's already been won, right? It's already been taken care of. But the devil needs to be reminded and we need to keep our foot on his throat so that he can't get up and lie to us and trick us and pull us back into something that we don't need to be a part of because the victory's already been won. I mean, why go back and fight something that's already been won? But the battle lies in keeping our foot on his throat and shutting down those lies that come up within us. So, I wanna get into the subject of knowing who you are in Christ because as you come to know, you will come to believe. And when you really believe, you will begin to really live out the truths that you know. The Bible says you shall know the truth and the the truth shall set you free. Some of you know your Bible, that's awesome. What sets you free? I knew you were gonna say that. But that's only partially true. The only truth that sets you free is the truth that you know. You shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. What truth? The truth that you know. Truth does not set you free if you don't know it. Am I right? I mean, truth exists, right? It's absolute, it's out here, it's real. We know his name is Jesus, but there's still a lot of people who aren't set free because they don't know the truth. You must know the truth, only the truth that you know is the truth that will set you free, right? I think that's important. Knowledge of the truth precedes the freedom that is produced from it, absolutely. You gotta know it to experience the freedom. So let's look in the word of God this morning and let's let the Holy Spirit drop some knowledge on us today. Acts 19, 11 through 12. And I love this portion of, portion of scripture. It says, now God worked unusual miracles. Everybody say unusual. Yeah, unusual miracles by the hands of Paul so that even handkerchiefs or aprons were brought from his body to the sick and the diseases left them and the evil spirits went out of them. Let me pause there for a second. The Bible says that these were unusual miracles, 
unusual, not the kind that people had seen before. There were people being delivered from evil spirits and diseases, being cured with just handkerchiefs and aprons that had been in contact with Paul. Now, how many have ever turned on the the TV late at night and you've seen evangelist so-and-so, and if you send in this much money, he's gonna send you a handkerchief that he laid hands on and prayed over? Okay, that's where this comes from, but notice Paul never laid hands on the handkerchief. They were just handkerchiefs that he used. Aprons that were part of his dirty laundry, and they would take those to the people that were sick, and people would be set free from demonic control. They would be delivered. They would be healed of diseases. That's pretty amazing. I think that's why the Bible says unusual miracles. These were unusual. By the way, if someone's saying, give me $100 and I'll give you a hanky that's all anointed, don't give them $100. Why, would you, why do we need to pay for the miracle of God when it's free, right? Just saying. Now that I'm on the internet, I can tell all you evangelists that are getting money for your handkerchiefs, knock it off. The gift of God is free. These were unusual, and it begs the question, why were these miracles happening through Paul? He wasn't deity like Christ. He wasn't the son of God like Jesus, but these special, special, unusual miracles were happening through him. Why? What was different about Paul? Why did these things happen through him, but it is not recorded as happening through others? It makes me think of Peter back in Acts 5, and they would bring the sick people out into the streets so that Peter's shadow would fall on them and they would be healed. Another somewhat unusual miracle, even though the Bible doesn't say that about those miracles or that particular miracle, but it seems unusual because it's the only time it's recorded like that in the Bible. But these handkerchief apron miracles are only attributed to Paul's ministry in the Scripture. Again, why? Why is it only for Paul? Let's hold that thought a second. Acts 19, 13 through 16. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists took it upon themselves to call the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, we exorcise you by the Jesus whom Paul preaches. Also, there were seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, who did so as well, okay? And then, or, and, and the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know, Paul I know, but who the heck are you? Then the man in whom the evil spirit was, was leaped on them, overpowered them, and prevailed against them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. So it's obvious what's happening here. You have Paul who's preaching in the name of Jesus. There are people receiving Christ. Demon-possessed people are being delivered. Sicknesses and diseases are being healed. And these religious men what in, in, uh, men want in on some of the action. These chief priests, these seven sons of Sceva, these men who are usually religiously exercising demons, they want in on some of this action because they seen God's man doing great things in the name of Jesus. And I think Pastor Jared, in that uh, word that came to him this morning, was talking just about that, wasn't he? 
Signs and wonders following those that believe. They see that the people are listening and responding to Paul's preaching, partly because of the signs and wonders. How many know if there's signs and wonders being displayed, people are going to take notice? They're going to see what's going on. They're going to go, this is, wow, I'm going to listen to this. The people didn't see these things happening through the Jewish priests. So these guys start preaching in Jesus' name in an effort to produce the same results. They wanted people to follow them, not Paul. So let's do what he's doing. It seems like it's working for him, so let's, let's do that. It even mentions that these seven sons of Sceva, again, who was a Jewish priest, they wanted in on some of this action too. And, and maybe they wanted some attention or maybe they were just fooling around. It's even possible that they thought they could make some money displaying this kind of power. Paul's using the name of Jesus. We're going to use the name of Jesus too. And then people are going to follow us and think that we're powerful and they're going to listen to what we say. I'm speculating here a little bit, but it's definitely possible that they were even looking to uh, raise some money. Maybe people would pay them. You know, $100 for a handkerchief. And of course, we see that the results are not the same. The man in whom they are trying to exercise the demon jumps them, strips them naked, beats the daylights out of them to the place where they have visible wounds. So the question, why did this work for Paul, but not for seven, the, the Sceva's seven sons, say that seven times real fast, or the other Jewish priests that were using the name of Jesus? It didn't work for them, but it worked for Paul. Why? And don't miss the truth here. There's a big difference in being religiously minded and being in relationship with Jesus. Paul knew who he was in Christ, but even more than his knowing, he lived for Christ. There wasn't a disconnect between what he said he believed and how he actually lived. Did you hear what I said this morning? There wasn't a disconnect between what he said he believed and how he actually lived. Church, in Paul's life, there was no disconnect between what he said he believed and how he actually lived. And I think in the church today, there's a lot of disconnect. We say we believe something. We act like we believe something even in some cases. But deep down in our hearts and behind closed doors and when nobody else is looking, we don't really believe what we say we believe because we don't act like we believe it. I want you to think about that just for a second. Because the church doesn't seem to have that kind of fire that it did back in the book of Acts. Nothing in the word of God says that these kinds of miracles were only for then and not for now. But there must be a reason why they happened for Paul and they don't seem to happen as often in our here and now. Paul wrote to the Corinthian church in his second letter to them, in chapter five, verse 17, 
Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. The Greek word translated new creation here is the word kainos, which carries with it the idea of something that is just made and, and which is uncommon or unheard of. When we accept Christ, we are not merely just cleaned up, church. We're not just covered by the grace of God. We are made completely new. Hear me, I'm talking very slow so you can understand. <laughs> and trust me, when I was in my office studying for this, I read it many times because I wanted to understand. I wanted to get it from here down into here, down into my very being. You, in Jesus Christ, are a new creation. You're not just the old person who's been forgiven. You're not just the old person who has been covered over by God's grace. You are completely new, never heard of before. I love that. Because the version of you that is post-Jesus is completely unheard of. The pre-Jesus you is no more. This points to the idea that when you come to Christ, there is a change in your behavior. You are different than before you came to Christ. A change, a complete change. Nobody's ever seen this berry before since Jesus. Nobody's ever seen Eric on this side of Jesus. It's unheard of. And the old people in the old life will not recognize you because you are completely new. You are a new creation. The old is gone and all things have become new. Are you hearing me this morning? Because you need to get this down in your spirit. You're not the old person you used to be. This moment you accept Christ, you become new. The slate has been wiped clean. You are not just forgiven, you're brand spanking new. You still got that new Christian smell in you. Like that new car smell. And understand, it's not, I'm choosing Jesus, so now I have to change. It's Jesus has chosen me, and I have accepted or received him, and the result is a constant changing or conforming into his image. It's changed from the inside out. All things have become new within your heart. Paul knew this, and it changed his identity completely. He went from murdering Christians to producing them. Think about that. That's completely different. Can you imagine the first people he reached out to to minister to? They're like, oh no, here's Paul. If he thinks we're a Christian, he's gonna kill us. Maybe he's lying about, he's trying to tell us about Jesus, and if we accept him, then he's gonna pull out a sword and take us out. Can you imagine what it must have been like? This is the guy that killed Christians. Not the guy who produces them, but he was. He was producing Christians now because he had been changed from the inside out. The old man was gone. Now that all that remained was this new man. And by the time Paul began his missionary journeys, he knew uh, that in and through Christ, there was a lot of things that were different about him. His, he had a new identity. He found out who he was in Jesus. 
I've preached on Paul before uh, several years ago, and we talked about how he went into the desert for a, a long period of time where he met with Jesus and Jesus spoke to him. You can find that in the book of Acts. We don't talk about it very much. But he truly was an apostle, and Jesus truly did teach him. But he found this out, and by the time he did his missionary journeys, let, let me go through some things that he found out that are true of us today if we have Jesus in our heart. We are true children of God once we accept Christ. And in through Jesus Christ, we are true children of God. And you can look it up, John 1, 12. We are true children of God. Does that mean there's people that aren't true children of God? Yes, it does. Well, that's not very nice. I didn't write it. Take it up with the Lord. Not everybody who walks the faiths of the earth is a child of God. Just what the word of God says. Only those who have... Uh, who have accepted him are given the right to be called sons and daughters of God. Everybody has the opportunity. Not everybody takes advantage of it. In and through Christ, we become friends of Jesus Christ. Friends with the creator of the universe. That's who you are. If you have Jesus, raise your hand if you have Jesus. Some of you don't even know. Come on, do you, do you know Jesus? Raise him up high. If you know Jesus, that shouldn't... Uh, this isn't voting, this is just saying who you are, right? I know Jesus, okay, put him back down. If you know Jesus Christ, if you've accepted him into your life, then you are his friend. And you're gonna let the devil talk to you like that? And put that doubt in your head? And put those thoughts in your mind? And take you places in, inside your soul that you don't wanna go? That's when you just put your foot down. Do you know who you're talking to? I am a friend of God. I am a friend of Jesus Christ. Shut your mouth. We are justified through Christ, which means declared not guilty. Look it up, Romans 5.8. We have become united with the Lord and are one with him in spirit. Look it up, 1 Corinthians 6.17. We have been purchased. We have been bought by God. 1 Corinthians 6.19 through 20. We are members of Christ's body. We're part of his body. We're in Christ. We are chosen. God has adopted us as his children. Look it up, Ephesians 1, 3 through 8. We are redeemed, which means liberated from oppression. What did you say to me, devil? Do you not know that the blood of Jesus has been applied to my life and I'm no longer under your oppression? Shut your mouth. I'm not listening to it. I've been redeemed. Some of you on the way to work need to just shout out, I am redeemed. I wanna do something to this car that just cut me off. I wanna lunge at them with my car. I wanna give them the Hawaiian good luck sign or whatever it is that you're thinking about doing. I wanna roll down my window and shout at them. I wanna do this, that, and the other, but what you should do is just go, what? I'm redeemed and that doesn't matter, right? It doesn't matter. I've been redeemed. We have been made complete. Oh, church, there's so many people in the church that are like, I'm just not complete. I just don't feel whole. I just don't feel, I just feel like I'm, I'm a fraction of myself. You have been made complete in Jesus. The moment you accept Christ, you are complete. You do not need a spouse to make you complete. You do not need a child to make you complete. You don't need a good friend to make you complete. 
having kids, having a spouse, having a good friend, all great things, but you don't need it to make you complete. You are complete in him, everything you need. That's in Colossians 2, 9 through 10, if you didn't know. We have been given direct access to the throne of grace. Woo! Come on! We've been given access to the throne of grace, direct access. We can access the throne of grace anytime we need to. That's what being Christ means. That's your identity. Who are you? I'm the person who can access the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords anytime I want. I mean, folks, get a hold of it. Get a hold of it. We are free from condemnation when we're in Christ Jesus. And the Christians that walk around with their heads hang, hung low and I'm just not worthy, I'm no good, I'm, I'm never gonna be good enough, blah, 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 blah. Someone forgot to tell you or you forgot to listen, one of the two, that you are free, absolutely 100% free from condemnation. There's no condemning me. I mean, when the devil tries to condemn you, shouldn't you just sit back and go, you trying to condemn me? Because I know where you're going. I know your future. Do you remember that you're going to be thrown into the pit? You're going to be thrown into the lake of fire? Do you remember that you're going to be destroyed and all your demon cohorts and all your plans and all your strategies and manipulations, they're all gone. All your lies, are all gone. That's what's going to happen to you. And you're telling me that I'm condemned? I've got the blood of Jesus. I'm not condemned. Look in the mirror, devil. When we're in Christ, we can be assured that God works for our good in all circumstances. <laughs> it doesn't matter what's going on in your life. Because God works all things together for good for those that love him, right? Look it up. Look it up. Romans 8, 28. When we're in Christ, we cannot be separated from the love of God. Wow. God loves you with an everlasting love. And you're walking around with your lip hanging out so far Looks like you're wearing a turtleneck. I don't know why I pushed on my gut when I did that. I just, it felt right. Man. God loves us. There's no reason to have our dauber down. We are established, anointed, and sealed by God himself, according to 2 Corinthians 1, 21 through 22. When we're in Christ, that's what happens. And when we're in Christ, the promise has been made that he will complete the good work that he started in us. That means, man, I might not have arrived yet, but I'm on my way. You know how powerful that is when the devil is just beating you up back and forth, sideways, all the ways he can? And you can say, you know what? You're right, I ain't perfect but I'm on my way. He's gonna complete the work. He promised it. 
He's going to complete the work, and I'm allowing him to, to complete the work. And I ain't going to listen to you no more, no more, no more, no more. We cannot be separated from the love of God. More about his love. We are established, anointed, and sealed by God himself. The promise has been made that he will complete the good work that he started in us. We are citizens of heaven, of, uh, not of this world. And we're citizens of heaven. Who are we in Christ? I'm a citizen of heaven. Who am I in Christ? Next one, that we can't, haven't been given a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and of a sound mind. I want to say something this morning. I'm tired of mental illness having free reign in the church. I understand that mental illness happens just like physical illness. I get that. But we pray for physical illness. We lay hands on the sick and they recover, right? Physical illness. We believe that with all of our heart. But if someone has a mental struggle, we shut down. We go, oh, let's just not talk about that. They're seeing their doctor, they're on drugs, let's, let's just leave them alone. We ought to be praying for that. It should not be a, a stigma on them. Shouldn't be that. But you know what? They can be delivered of that just like someone can be delivered from a sickness, a physical sickness. In church, we ought to be praying for each other that way. Somebody might have weak knees your whole life. You're just born with weak knees. So we pray for your knees, right? Well, what if someone's born with a little weak area in their mind? Oh, how dare you say that? We all have weaknesses. They're no different. We all have them. We all have certain struggles, and other people don't have those struggles. I mean, we're all different, right? Man, we ought to pray for one another in these areas. And if you're someone who struggles with depression or anxiety or schizophrenia even, or, or, or bipolar disorder, or borderline personality disorder, or narcissistic disorder, or blah, whatever disorder you, that, that they come up with next. If, if you're struggling with that, understand something. God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and of a sound mind. And if I struggled with some of those areas, how many have ever struggled with a little depression before? I've gotten depressed before. Maybe not clinically, but situationally, sure, we all have. That is when you kick into high gear those scriptures and you repeat them and you repeat them and you repeat them because we deal with the devil just like Jesus did with the word of God. I feel weak in my mind. I feel weak. I feel like I'm, everything's swirling. I've got all this anxiety. What do I do? What do I do? We've all felt like that. We say, you know what? He's not giving me a spirit of fear. He's not giving me this anxiety. He's giving me a spirit of power, love, and of a sound mind. I'd quote that thing to death if I was dealing with that. In Christ we are born of God and the devil cannot touch us. 1 John 5.18. What, no amen? That doesn't excite anybody? The one who steals, kills, and destroys and tries to ruin people's life, he can't touch you if you're a child of God and you're like, oh, that's nice. Let me try that again. When you're in Christ, you're born of God and the devil cannot touch you. All right. That's my church. We have been chosen and appointed to bear fruit. We get to be a part 
of the ministry of the Lord, which is so awesome and such a privilege. We are now God's temple when we're in Christ. He lives inside of us. Can you imagine that? The God of this world has sent his Holy Spirit to live inside of us. We are a temple of him. His temple. How cool is that? We are ministers of reconciliation for God. We get to be part of his hands and his feet, bringing people to Christ. And let me tell you something. If you've ever been uh, uh, on a high from, from whatever it might be, buying stuff that you didn't need or, or, or maybe drugs that you didn't need to take or maybe drinking or I don't know what it was. If you've ever been on a high, there's no high that exists. I'm telling you, there's no high that exists like leading someone to Jesus Christ and being a part of that whole thing. It is absolutely phenomenal and you'll never go back to any other stuff if you ever do it. It's powerful, it's wonderful, it's awesome, and it's a high. That is, that is the definition of being high. Man, I don't need any weed. You don't either. You don't need weed. I didn't think I'd ever say that in church. You don't need weed. <laughs> you just need to lead people to Jesus. You want a high? Lead somebody to the Lord. Yeah, maybe that's what you should do when you're feeling depressed. Just go out and find somebody who's more depressed than you and lead them to Jesus. Then you won't be depressed anymore, and neither will he. Come on. We are born of God, and the devil can't touch us. I already read that one. I want to read it again. I just saw that, jumped off the page, and I just couldn't help but think of, can't touch this. Wouldn't the devil love to hear that song? We are seated with Jesus Christ in the heavenly realm, Ephesians 2.6. We are God's workmanship, Ephesians 2.10. We can approach God with freedom and confidence, Ephesians 3.12. We can do all things through Christ who strengthens you, Philippians 4.13. We are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus, Romans 8.37. This is who you are in Christ, folks. This is your new identity. The old is gone. The new has come. This is who you are. So you need to act like that's who you are and live there like Paul did. And if you couldn't write those things down fast enough, they'll all be on, I think you're putting them on Facebook almost right now, Pastor Jared, right? You wrote them all down that quick and you're just like, amazing. You can get them there. But church, we gotta realize that it's not enough to know who we are in Christ. I'm gonna go back to this. We must walk in that identity. We must live it. These seven sons of Sceva certainly had seen firsthand that there was power in the name of Jesus. And so they tried to claim that power over this demon and they got whipped up on. I think we can easily fall into the same trap. We wanna claim the name of Jesus over our situation. We sing the song, there's power in the name of Jesus. We sing it and we sing it with passion, right? And we sing it. We even believe it. We believe what we're singing and what we're claiming. But in some, there's a disconnect between knowing the path and walking the path. Thank you, Brother Morpheus. Some of you don't know who that is. That's fine. Hollywood movie, and that's something he said in the movie. There is, though, a difference between knowing the path and walking the path, right? There's a distinct difference between having religion and walking in a relationship. And don't think that your relationship with Christ can't become religious if you're not careful. Man always gravitates towards religion. 
If it's not fresh, if it doesn't stay fresh, if you don't stay on fire with him, it can just begin to fall into religion. It's just, it's like, it just happens. We must know who we are in Christ, which by the way, takes a lifetime to fully understand. But even more importantly, as we experience those revelations of who we are in Jesus, we have to walk in that new identity. And this is the key to any spiritual battle that you may be facing. I'm telling you, church, this is the key. To walk in it. To walk in it. Paul didn't just know who he was in Christ. He lived it like it was the truth. And it's the truth for you and I, too, today. The old is gone. Behold, all things have been made new. You know, these seven sons of Sceva didn't have the foundations the foundation of living out the truth. They knew it, they weren't living it. And when they tried to claim the power that was in the name of Jesus, there was no substance, no foundation in their own life to claim it from. They may have had religion, but they didn't have a relationship. This demon knew Jesus, and he knew Paul, but he didn't know these guys, because they hadn't lived it. And church, the seven sons of Sceva is a great picture It's a prophetic picture, I believe, of those in the church today, and hear me, I'm wrapping up. It's a prophetic picture of those in the church today who want all the benefits, hear me, they want all the benefits that come through Christ and that come with the relationship with him, but don't give him the access or permission to change their hearts. Heaven sounds great, Abundant life sounds amazing. Blessings here and hope for the future. Protection from the enemy. Power through Christ. Yay! Where do I sign up for that? But without heart change, the church is powerless. Powerless. Well, what if they just say the name of Jesus? All the power we need is in his name. I know his name is powerful. But that's what the seven sons of Sceva did. And they got whooped up on. There's got to be substance behind it. You have to live it before you can claim it. You have to walk in it before you can be used in it. It's got to be authentic. It's got to be real. I'm fearful that many churches have fallen into this powerless, air quotes, powerless trap. We have lots of knowledge, we are full of great teaching, but where's the power displayed? The church as a whole seems to be cowering in the corner more than we are possessing the land. And I'm not saying we don't need to know who we are in Christ because it's only the truth that we know that sets us free. We just, we went over that. But even more than knowing, the church has to start doing, living it out because your true belief, and you can write this down and take it home to the bank, God gave me this phrase, your true belief is always authenticated or exposed by your personal actions. It always is. What you do is more important than what you say you believe because the doing proves what you believe. When the church walks in the identity of who they really are in Christ, look what happens. Acts 19, 17 through 20. This is the end of the seven sons of Sceva 
portion of the scripture. This became known both to, the, to all Jews and Greeks dwelling in Ephesus. What became known? The, the unusual miracles. The, the things that happened to the seven sons of Sceva. The, the, the miracles displayed of demons coming out of people and people being healed of diseases and sicknesses, handkerchiefs and aprons healing people. That's what, what became known. This, all this stuff became known, both to all the Jews and Greeks dwelling in Ephesus. And fear fell on them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified and many who had believed came confessing and telling their deeds. Also, many of those who had practiced magic brought their books together and burned them in magic books, by the way, not all their books, just the books that were sorcery books, brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted up the value of them and it totaled 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. These unusual miracles became known to everyone in fear. Yes, fear. Not fear in the sense of people were gripped with fear from the enemy, This was a holy, reverent fear, a holy respect for God, a fear of what life would be like or will be like if we don't walk in the knowledge of the truth that has been revealed to us. See, I'm fearful of that. What if I don't do what I'm supposed to do? What will happen in my life? What if you don't do what you're supposed to do? What if you don't walk in the truth that's been revealed to you? There should be a holy respect and awe. This fear here is similar, actually it's the exact same thing, as the fear that was experienced when Ananias and Sapphira lied to the Holy Spirit and they fell dead right before the people. Can you imagine? Someone lies in church, they fall over dead. This is an Old Testament, that's New Testament. That's church age, we're in the church age still. What if that really happened? Would there be a fear and a holy reverence for God? Would we play games with God if we knew, if we thought we might fall over dead? Of course we wouldn't. Lord, do what it takes to bring a holy, reverent fear back into your church. Ooh, that's a dangerous prayer. Do it, Lord. Because I'm tired of the status quo. Church, I hope you're tired of the status quo. Christianity as usual, Sunday mornings, Wednesday nights, throw a few bucks in the offering plate, hold hands as we all go to heaven. I don't know what's going on with me lately. tired of the status quo. God, I want all. I want to see this city come to its knees in worship of you, Lord Jesus. I mean, what it says here in the last part of Acts 19, it's a description of revival. Revival. A community transformed by the power of Christ displayed through a man who not only knew who he was in Christ, but he lived it out. Paul gave his whole life to the Lord. It wasn't a Sunday, like I said, and Wednesday kind of thing. It, if, if we want to walk in, a, in power as a church, 
if we want signs and wonders and even unusual miracles following us, if we wanna be able to engage the enemy in warfare and not just be on the defensive all the time, see, that's where most of the church is at. We're all, on def- we're all defensive, playing on defense. Defense, defense, defense. We gotta, oh, pray against the devil here, pray against the devil there, pray against the devil there. You know what happens when you do that after a while? You're overwhelmed because the devil's everywhere. It's time to go on offense. We, too, have to live it out like Paul. And religion just doesn't get it done. Thanks for being a part of the Indianola First Assembly of God podcast. Join us next week to stay updated on our latest message.